Hey, how you doing? It's flipping cold here. I don't think it's due to rise above freezing all day. I've got all of the heating on in the studio and it's barely coping. It's just about uh, keeping the temperature bearable. Uh, But life is good. Uh, This week, it's my privilege to uh, have an interview with someone who I've wanted to talk to for a very, very long time. I hope you enjoy it. I'm Paul and this is the Mastering Portrait Photography podcast. So, uh, hello, one and all. Uh, once again, we're into the thick of it, recording an interview on the Mastering Portrait Photography podcast. Um, it is an absolute thrill to have my guest uh, from this particular episode. It's someone whose work I've admired for a very long time. He is not only an incredible photographer, to use, his, to use the Canon website's description one of the most highly decorated wedding, wedding photographers in the world. He is a Canon ambassador, but more importantly, he is one of the nicest guys in the industry, not only because he is, well, he is just a genuinely lovely guy, but if you ever get to spend time with him and looking at his images, you'll realise that that emotion and that affection comes straight away. It comes across in each and every image that he will show you. I've been privileged to sit and judge competitions with him, and he has the same compassion to each image that he judges as he does to the clients he works with. Of course, I am talking about none other than Sanjay. I've got. To, I've had to look up how I've written this down to make sure I say it right. Sanjay Jogia. That's it. Uh, who hello, is Paul. just hello, just an incredible human being and a nice person. Uh, can you be any? Could you be an incredible human being and not a nice person? I guess you probably could be. Well, I don't know that that intro. I mean, I have to live up to that now. Thank, <laughs> thank you for that. That was very kind. Well, it's, it's, I've had the pleasure of. Uh, I mean, this year, of course, the judging has been virtual, uh, as in we're doing it all online on Zoom or whatever we software is being used. But I've also had the pleasure of sitting next to you on judging panels, and uh, I stand by every word that I've just uttered. And also, I've, I mean, I've trawled through your images and had the luxury of judging some of your images when they've popped up. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and it's, it's always fortunate that I don't know they're yours uh, because it does allow you to judge, obviously, cold and uh, as objectively as you ever can be, but also because I think just because knowing it, I'd be tempted. Well, he's just a nice guy. I think he needs an extra couple of marks. Not that your images ever need bumping. They always do so well. Uh, they are striking. They are iconic. They are full of humour and colour and form. Um, I think... Even I, I, I mean, I've, see, I've seen your work over and over, but one of my all-time favourite wedding images is the bride with the perfume bottle. Uh, just uh, a glorious celebration of form and tone and romance. I just think it's a, a great image. Thank you. It always fascinates me um, to know which images speak to, to different people and why. Um, and obviously, you know, which of my images speak to different people and why. Um, you know, and I get asked to pick for various things here and there, you know, pick pick um, my top five images, whether it's for a bio or something or another, and it's it's like trying to pick your children. It's 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 crazy. I mean, that that usually makes my list of favourites as well, um, because it's quite different to a lot of the other things that you know we we generally get to shoot. It's interesting that you picked that one actually. Um, well, I, th- I think this for me, 
I mean, it's a trick as a portrait photographer using light and dark. But the beauty of that particular image is that sort of triangle of the spray as it moves out of the dark into the light. And then, of course, it switches from being picked out by the highlights to being picked out by the shadows. And yeah. it's just it's just a really simple, elegant way of splitting an image into two and then still having a, a common... Uh, it's, it's one image. It's just, it's just a lovely image. And I like it because it's slightly different. Um, you know, you, you know this as a judge. How many times are we going to see a bride by a window with a with flowers and a the train held in a dainty hand? You know. Yeah, I mean that, that image, that sort of image, the silhouettes, um, you know, and the, the interplay with with highlights is 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 a sort of concept that we'll see over and over again. It existed before I did my image. It'll exist after. Um, and I think the the trick is to to make it your own. Um, by putting your own signature on it, by putting a little twist on it, that gives it a slightly different narrative. Because, you know, it, it's such a tempting thing to do in terms of creating silhouettes or um, very delicate sort of highlights um, across the shadow side of the image next to the window. And um, the challenge is always, once you've thought of a concept... How do you make it creative? How do you make it unique? How do you make it stand out? How do you give it impact? How do you make people look at that and think, okay, that's different? You know, how do you make people think when you when they see an image? And that's always a challenge. You know, it's it's a challenge for for everybody. You know, me included. It's, I think it's the, it's the perennial problem for a for a wedding and a portrait photographer is. To create something that's um, unique and that you know, and really has that impact, because you know, as as a, as a judge, you know that one of the the first things um, is impact, yeah, is visual impact and it's creative impact, and that because it's the first thing that occurs to you, and usually the first thing that you kind of consider when you're judging an image, it has the largest bearing on on a judge's um, view and and ability to score really. So and and if that if that impact isn't there, then then you're kind of forced to try and draw upon the other things on the list, um, you know, technical excellence, creativity, lighting, so on and so on, technique. Um, but if the impact um, knocks you for six, you almost don't need to consider the other things quite so much. And that impact really does come from stopping and making you think, and you know, actually realizing that there's there's more than just a silhouette going on there. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you noticed that that spray and that transition from, you know, from from, from highlights on the shadow side to to shadow on the highlight side, um, because that really is the kind of the it's the interplay between one half of the image and the other. It's a great, it's a fantastic image. It's uh, thank you. you. Know, it's one of those images I wish I'd bloody taken it. <laughs> <laughs> How many weddings do you do a year? Not that many, actually. Um, we, we we sort of limit ourselves to between fifteen and twenty weddings a year. Um, it's you know it was a conscious decision from the start. I say from the start actually. In in the first couple of years when we were ramping up our business, you know, we were sort of building up our uh, brand and our reputation. We you know we were taking what we could, and I think we've been quite fortunate with um, the success that we've we've enjoyed from the beginning, and we, we were quite spoiled actually. So what it meant was in the early years. The number of weddings were kind of ramping up, and we were thinking, oh, you know, it'd be really good, 
you know, cool to be able to do 10 in the first year. We nearly did 10 in the first year. And then the second year we said, oh, it'd be really good to do 15. And we did more than 15. And in the third year, it exceeded 20. And then one, I remember that summer just thinking, I'm exhausted. Um, <laughs> because it's, you know, for us, it's sort of 20, 20 clients means multiple events. Yeah. Um, because we mainly shoot sort of, you know, South Asian, Indian um weddings so that's you know different religions and everyone has uh, different customs but it's usually multiple events pre-wedding events there's usually a civil wedding there's a religious wedding there's a reception in a normal world um in the pre-covid world what happens after is a different discussion altogether i think um but uh you know if if i get one booking it's usually i want to say anything between one day where where they try to cram in everything into one day um and on average three events uh, per client so that that 20 becomes 50 55 60 events in a year and they're quite long days they're very intensive so by the time you get to the summer it's pretty draining so uh, we, we made a we made a conscious decision to limit the number of events to 20 maximum but the target's 15 and and that way we can deliver quality uh, we can deliver an experience we can deliver um you know the the experience that clients actually expect from our brand um and it's just a more enjoyable process it also means that i get to have a life you know and actually enjoy um you know the spoils of um of our of our success and um yeah that's what we've been trying to do and then the pandemic happened it's, (laughs) it's, it's all up in the air now isn't it tell me about it during those long days how do you stay creative how do you find that thing inside every photographer to see the world in a slightly different way? That's a really interesting question. Um, If I could bag the answer, I I would be (laughs) an absolute millionaire. Um, I think it's got to come from, it's got to come from your personality. It's got to come from yourself. And what I always tell people uh, when I'm teaching as well, so if I'm teaching, you know, one-to-ones, one-to-manys, if I'm doing... um, webinar seminar whatever it is the the key thing i try to make people understand is you need to know and understand who you are because you've got to draw upon your personality you've got to draw upon um what you know about yourself meaning what what triggers you what interests you what what turns you on what turns you off you know what are your interests what appeals to you um and if you know these things, you can draw upon that regularly. So um, if you if you don't know yourself, then you start to look at other people, I think, for inspiration and for, for direction. Uh, and that's where we start to get a lot of replication in the industry. And then what happens is that becomes, you know, your identity. And, and we've seen this over and over again where people, um, they, they try to create a style and try and perfect that style and that becomes their style and then they forget that their style came from someone else and their style probably came from somebody else and then you know you you just get these you get these clones of each other and you end up with these um these uh variants um <laughs> of, of everyone else so, so it, it ends up becoming a situation of um uh how, how can i phrase this it becomes it's on the tip of my tongue and it'll come to me. So I think what I'm trying to say is, in a really nice way, 
that you have to you have to try and be definitive, not derivative. Yeah, I was going to say, from, I mean, you, you've actually touched on a topic I was going to get towards later on in the podcast, but I, yep. I'm happy to talk about it at this point. I think, what, I think the beauty of your approach is that no one can replicate you, but everyone can replicate your work. If your work is authentic and from your soul, it's not possible to copy it. You cannot. Yeah. Because no one can be you. They can be a pastiche of you. They can pay homage to you. Yeah. But they're always going to be a derivative of you. And I think as, as photographers, certainly I started out copying. Of course I did, like everybody else, because I had to learn my craft. I had to learn the aesthetics. I had to learn the techniques. And I had to, had to use exactly what you said. I had to learn who I was or who I am. And one day when I eventually figure that last bit out, I will let you know, <laughs> let you know who I am. But it's not... We're all evolving. Copy me. That's yeah, right, that, but day. actually, that's that's the beauty of this approach is because you know if you have a good start point, you know, a good understanding um, of of who you are and, and at least what you like and what you dislike, uh, that that allows you, you know, a, a spring a springing point, a springboard um, to to then basically work off. Now, it, it's an it's an interesting thing because. You know, we all look to other things for inspiration, to other people for inspiration. And one thing I learned from from architecture, my background is I'm a, I'm a qualified architect, so um, I've I've learned a lot from that process. You know, um, I get asked a lot, why did I switch from one thing to another? It's so different, but actually, they're, they're very very similar. Uh, we can speak about that a bit later on, but. You know that the training for architecture really prepared me for um, for many things in photography. One thing I learned in architecture is that there are there are no new ideas. You know the the avant garde is damn near exhausted. I mean that's not an excuse because we should always try and chase the avant garde. And everything that happens now is a version of something. You know it, it is derivative to a certain degree. Which is a shame, and it, it sounds a little um, defeatist, but it's not. It's just accepting that this is where we are, but we're still working towards something else. Defeatist would be um, thinking, well, it's already been done. I can just go ahead and copy. That's not what it's about. It's about trying to understand what you know, what has been and what could be if you apply a twist to it. And that twist is you as a person. Because as you say, an image can be replicated, but the thought process... Even the thought process to a certain degree can be replicated, but the ultimate thing, the ultimate topping, you know, the secret ingredient is how you stitch all of that together because of who you are, and that can't be replicated. Um, and you know, and we see it. We, you know, you and I see it a lot in judging. We we see very versions of images, versions of themes, versions of styling, versions of color tone and posing, and you know, we all use Rembrandt lighting. Does that make us all ripoffs? You know, because <laughs> Rembrandt did it first. Um, it's it's an accepted technique and it's one that's actually beautiful. You know, it's accepted because it is beautiful. Um, that doesn't make us all derivative. We're just we're using a tool that works really well. Just you know, your listeners might be thinking, well, where do you draw the line? Um, I like to think that when when people see my work, they recognise my work as mine. You know, and it's and it's because I I have a visual vocabulary. 
um, that I use it, and it's going to be things like posing, lighting, post production. Um, it's going to be the the concept. If I can put humor into it, I'll put humor into it. You know, and if it's romance, I'll put romance. If it's emotion, if it's sad, then I'll put that in there. And a lot of that usually is a function of my mood. So, you know, it, our images are a reflection of us. But ultimately, it's all of these things that piece together to make it look like it's, you know, my own image. You know, maybe the way I handle color, you know, the color management, the whatever it is. It, there's a whole lot of things I can draw upon, but I usually try to throw into the mix. So the ingredients and the recipe are always consistent. But, you know, sometimes there might be a little twist to it. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I've actually, I've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast. I have a guest coming on. Yeah. Um, who's a, uh, an internationally renowned chef. And okay. what you just said is is so in line with his, his beliefs about it's, the ingredients are all the same. Everyone uses, I mean, you can talk about the quality of the ingredients, but they're still, you know, whatever. if you're making a cake, it's going to be butter, milk, eggs, flour. Yeah. And yet what appears in his hands or out of his ovens is completely different. And he's bringing his character, his interpretation, his experiences from around the world yeah. to play. And I think what you described so eloquently is almost precisely that, but in a visuals world. We all have this portfolio of tools, I think. Yeah. Um, it's never a complete set every year. Where, or, you know, you'd say at the end of every season, you've learned something new. If it's only we need to keep the number of shoots down <laughs> rather than up. Yeah. Um, but what you do with that and the mood you're in at that particular moment. Yeah, absolutely. And, and part of the psychology is being in the right mood. How, when you, when you walk into a wedding, how do you make sure that for that bride, that couple, that unique day, you're bringing the very, very best of you? That's also a very good question. Um, I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, I do put a lot of pressure on myself and I, I don't think that's something I can change. In fact, I sort of rely on that. Um, if, if I go into a wedding, um, not pooping my pants and there's something wrong. Yeah. You know, even after 12, 13 years, whatever it is, um, I, I, I rely on the nerves. So the nerves actually keep me going. The nerves keep me on my toes. And I, I'm, I, I try to be hyper-conscious of what's going on. But you need to know how to temper that because you see that, that hyper-consciousness can also be a bad thing. It can, it can, you know, sort of fear is paralyzing. So you have to make sure it doesn't become fear, but it becomes motivating. So you need to, you need to kind of use that nervous energy and, um, you know, use it to sort of focus on um, the task at hand. So I, I always try to break down the day. I spend a lot of time beforehand with my brides and grooms just trying to understand their day, what's going to happen, when, and um, th that way I can kind of just channel my energy for those certain chunks of the day. Uh, but also, at the same time, that doesn't mean I'm so focused on trying to satisfy that that I'm oblivious of, you know, any potential um, surprises that could happen. So, you know, you do have to keep your eyes open. You need the eyes on, on, on the back of your head, basically, uh, throughout the whole thing, because uh, anything can happen. But, you know, what I found is actually during the pandemic, um, when we were able to shoot some weddings and we were able to do some micro weddings, 
you know the the your attention span um still needs to be the same just because there are less people there doesn't mean there's actually any less pressure on you it's been more enjoyable because it's less frantic but there's still emotion that can happen at any time in any place and you still have to be you know you still have to kind of move around especially now because of social distancing everyone's spread out so um you know that that doesn't change so you know you do need to be um light on your toes i think and you need to be light on your toes metaphorically uh sort of in terms of responding visually and, and trying to capture the emotion. But one, you know, I spoke about um, ingredients and recipe. And one of the one of the ingredients for me is not just shooting what I see. Because, you know, we've spoken about portraits so far. You know. uh, but the thing is that 95% of what we do is, is documentary. And... That's that side of uh, a wedding day um, is is telling the story of the day. So on, on my website we call it fantasy and reality. So the reality being the, the documentary, the fantasy being the portraits, and somewhere in between are the, are the family group shots. Um, and even those, you know, we, we take a lot of time over, and you know, we, we craft those, we we pose people well, we light it like it's in the studio. Um, you know, wherever it is, we still light it like it's in the studio because. I need to have that consistency all the way through you know, the set of images. Otherwise, um, my OCD plays up. So I need to, you know, it, it's really important for me. And, and you know, again, that adds a consistency. But um, when it comes to the PJ, a lot of a lot of people, and I've heard a lot of people say, "Yeah, well, I shoot what I see," you know, just because I've got my eyes open and I'm just quick to respond to it. Um, that's only half of it. You know, you've you've also got to shoot what you feel. And if you shoot with feeling then you're creating a connection, a genuine connection with the viewer. And you know, if you imagine you just shoot what you see, people who are there can look at that and say, oh yeah, I remember that moment. You know, I remember that happening in front of me. If you, you shoot a feeling, then they'll also recall how they felt during that moment too. And you can speak to that. And I think that's very important. So um, it helps to spend a bit of time getting to know your clients and, and getting to know their family and or friends um, because the way to the way to achieve this is to try and capture what's happening in front of you uh, through the eyes of a loved one so if you form a connection with the bride and groom you actually you have a genuine connection so you're shooting as though you're a loved one you know it's not it's not made up it becomes real and, and and I think that's a very really important thing. So as long as you don't forget that, then um, you know you've got everything you need to um, create a sincere set of images. And I think that sincerity is the is the key thing there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean you you were laughing at or nosing what I've got written on the board behind my shoulder, and it's words yeah. like authenticity. And I haven't added. I'll add sincerity because I think you're right. I've, I mean I've taught portrait photographers for a long time, and I've always had this slight dilemma when I teach the one bit of it I think is actually really important is that momentarily you have to fall in love with your subject somehow and it has to be real it has to be authentic you have to find something to genuinely like them for even if sometimes they're not the kind of people you'd normally migrate towards and you've kind of hit the nail on the head from a wedding point of view yeah absolutely because you you want to you want to do justice to your relationship with them to the person that they are, the kind of person that they are, and you want to do justice to, 
you know, their relationship and their connection and their love. Um, you know, because obviously as photographers, as artists, we get a kick out of, you know, them responding to that with emotion. Um, and, you know, you know that's left an indelible mark permanently on them. You know, that when, when, when someone has a, an emotional reaction to an image once, that will always be there. That impact, it's that impact we were talking about as judges. You know, they'll always remember that impact. It'll always mean something to them. Um, so, you know, I think there's something to be said about, and I'm possibly just jumping the gun slightly here, mate, but, um, you know, there's something to be said about entering competitions because you understand how, how judges think because that process is also really what you should be applying to your clients as well. I'm not saying every single photograph needs to be an award-winning image, not at all. And if you can do that, then you're amazing. Um, you know, we, we shoot, as I said, sort of, let's say 20, 20 weddings in a normal year. And if, if, I can, if I can pull an image from each of those events that I'd be happy to enter, then I would be so happy. You know, we're working our butts off all the way through to create a stunning, consistent set of images for our clients. And you have to remember that, you know, creating images for your clients is not the same thing as creating an image for a competition. The challenge for me, however, is to be able to create an image for my clients that I can also enter into a competition, not because I've created it for a competition. Uh, and, yeah. and that's the challenge. I don't think my hit rate's particularly high in terms of, you know, creating that kind of image. I'm really hard on myself. And I really surprised myself in, you know, in, in some years in the past where I've, um, I've gone through a set of images and, you know, I've got my wife, Roshni, kind of helping me sort of filter through the images. And um, I'm just saying to her, look, I don't like any of them. You know, I, I just don't think I've got anything here I can enter. And she's looking at it slightly separately. You know, I, I, I do beat myself up, but I get very connected to my images. And um, she's like, no, it's going to be this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. She kind of helps me shortlist it. And then the more I look at it, the more I think, okay, well, maybe there's a possibility, you know, um, in a parallel universe, it might do okay. And then, um, you know, I enter it and it's won something. And, uh, the, you know, the lesson is uh, don't don't sell yourself short. You know, don't, don't be too hard <laughs> on yourself. Uh, but, you know, it's being hard on yourself is a very key thing because that really helps you maintain standards. Which I think is very important right now. Um, it's a good thing your viewers can't see how I look right now because that would make me a bit of a hypocrite. But you know, I've I've always I've always maintained that through the pandemic you've got to maintain your standards and we'll have sort of off days. That this is that's me kind of scrubbing my uh, my stubble. But um, you know, I think maintaining standards throughout, especially now, means that you're going to come out strong at the other end. Um, um, you you mentioned uh, the beautiful Roshni in that. Yes conversation um just like myself and sarah you work together yes how how do you find that and what are the pressure points for anybody else who's thinking oh do you know what i could put a business together with my partner yeah uh it's an interesting question again i consider well we both consider ourselves very very fortunate that we are best friends um as well as life partners as well as business partners um uh, you know, and I think it's because we're best friends that we can do this. You know, if if we weren't, it would be an utter nightmare because we are together, damn near twenty four seven. And uh, you know, particularly now in in lockdown, you know, we're, we're together all the time. And 
you know, I, I hear stories about people saying, oh, you know, my other half's getting on my nerves and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm just thinking, well, you know, you made that choice, mate. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful that, you know, I've, I've got to make that choice. And we, we set it up together, actually. So as I said, my background is I'm an architect. Rosh's background is finance. So I've got the kind of creative, technical, geeky background, and she's got the. She's also a photographer. Just kind of, you know, she was a very passionate photographer, but her background is also finance. So it's really handy when it comes to the business. She's very good at, um, you know, working with clients, and she does, you know, she handles all the logistics and all the planning. And she's my second photographer, um, and um, she's very good at making money, which is awesome. So. You know, it's in a set in a sense, it's kind of like my secret weapon. Um, but yeah, you know, listen, that's not to say it's all it's all roses all the time because um, there are always challenges. You know, there are challenges on the wedding day that can be very stressful moments. Uh, we both try and keep our calm. We both try and keep our cool, and and try and understand that you know we have to lift each other when when either of us are down for whatever reason. Um, and there can be moments where we're both down and, you know, it's very, it's very easy to kind of get out, get annoyed with each other. And, mm. and it happens sometimes, you know, that's life, that's marriage, but you know, you just, you, you move on quickly. You get, you just deal with it quickly. Yeah. Um, you don't let things fester because, you know, that's toxic and, yeah. um, that's not my style really. You know, I don't that's like, it. I don't like negativity. Well, that comes across, I think, both in you and her and in your business. But I mean, I think before myself and Sarah had the, the business, we had separate careers. Right. And it was great because it was very unusual for both of us to be down. And if we were, it wouldn't be about the same thing. I think the weakness now is, is that if we're down, it might well be because of things happening around the business. And you have mm. to work doubly hard to get yourselves out of it because it was easy before. We were thinking about different things. Now we're probably thinking about... The same thing. And I'm going to get your good lady, your business partner, onto the podcast and see what she says when I ask her about what's it like working with Sanjay. Yeah. (laughs) She'll tell you the exact opposite. She's going to make a liar out of me. (laughs) She'll tell me it's it's hard work. Uh, We've kind of started to touch on it. And this was primarily the reason for triggering the conversation, though it's lovely to talk to you at any time of the year. Uh, But you and I were part of the society's judging team, the end of year judging team. Mm. in the past few weeks and every time I've judged I think certainly for the past couple of years I've tried to either publish a blog or a podcast on stuff that occurred to me and so I thought sure. it a good a good time and rather than me just wittering away as usual probably about the same things I've spotted every single time um, I thought I'd ask you so I'm going to start with uh, I guess why do you do judging what is it about judging that is uh, interesting it's really, it's a really interesting question, and it, and it's part of a journey. Um, it's part of a journey of professional development. It's part of a journey to um, give back to the universe, to the system that's you know um, motivated, helped, nurtured, challenged, um, you know, brought me down, picked me up. Uh, I think it's so important that you you're able to feed back to that, and um, I think you know when when you've been in an industry as long as we have, and providing this is on the assumption that you care about what you do and you care about the industry, 
you you want to try and you want to try and iron out the kinks, and there are many many kinks in in any industry, not just ours. Um, there are many things that can do with a lot of improvement, um, a lot of things that a lot of there's a lot of education necessary required for for people. Um, you know, when I started in the wedding industry, it was it was daunting. That's the first thing. And to a certain degree, inhospitable. I don't think there are enough people out there who are willing to, you know, share and care. Um, and I didn't understand why, you know. So I I joined the societies pretty much at the beginning of my career. And, you know, it was... I remember going to the convention thinking, wow, okay, um, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot... There's, there, are, there are a lot of people to learn from. Um, some better than others. Um, you know, some people would withhold, and it didn't feel genuine. It felt very disingenuous. Um, and there were some people who would just give and give and give. And you know, I think those people stand stand the test of time as well. You still see them now. You still see them, get, you know, at the top of their game, and they're just giving and giving and giving. And you know, that 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 resonates with me. Um, I like to think I'm quite a generous person, just generally, you know, not just in in, in experience and knowledge, but just generally, and th- there's no harm in that, you know. And I have people saying to me, "Well, you, you know, if you tell if you tell people everything, then you know, what are you going to have left up your sleeve?" And that is a very good question, and almost irrelevant because um, if you follow me on Facebook on Fridays, I put up posts that say "I'm happy down Friday," and one of my hashtags on that is "evolve or evaporate," and I really believe in that. So it doesn't matter how much you give, providing you continue to evolve. And this touches on the conversation we were having earlier about, you know, your kind of personality evolving. Because as you get older, you experience more in life. As you experience more in life, good or bad, it, you know, it tweaks your character. It tunes your character, tunes your personality. So you've got, you've all, you always have something new to call upon in that armament that no one else is ever going to have because it's your personality. So it will change so long as you treat yourself and, you know, you stop looking at other people's Instagrams and start trying to figure out who you are and trying to figure out your own style. um, It's never going to be an issue. Yes, you have to challenge yourself. Yes, you have to work hard. No one said this is easy. Um, It really isn't. It's, It's really hard work. And partially because there are so many very good photographers out there who will keep you on your toes. And um, lots of very good photographers who are coming from very good teachers who have um, learned how to do things as well, if not some some cases better than the teacher. And um, it's going to spawn a new generation of, of very good photographers. And part of what we must remember to try and learn is, is how to do business as well. I mean, there's a lot of very good photographers out there. Um, who just, you know, they don't charge enough. Their, their business model is nowhere near where it should be because they've learned new techniques and learned how to be better at what they do with the camera and what they do with their computer and their mouse and the Wacom tablet. But they don't know how to do any better with their zero accounting and, and, their, and their price list, you know. And it's got to be proportional. You know, that there's, there's got to be proportional. And, you know, what is the point in improving what you do if you're not going to improve your life because of that. I think what's interesting about your answer is I asked you specifically, why did you do judging? 
Mm. And I think the beginning of that, we talked a little bit about giving back, which is true because there is that element of it. There is that sense that when you're asked to judge, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible privilege to do it. But very quickly, you moved on to the fact that it's a learning exercise for us too. <laughs> and I yeah, think that's, that's so true. You know, people say, why do you, why do you, because we don't get paid for judging nine times yeah. out of 10. It might get some expenses and a bottle of wine and a pat on the back. But we do it because actually... Do you get wine? I don't get wine. Where did you get that I said from? very occasionally. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I do a camera club, usually, uh, I might get a bottle of wine. That's my fee. I always ask for a bottle of wine. <laughs> Talk about underselling. I ask for a nice bottle of wine. Um, but the point being that you leave richer in so many ways. You leave more experienced. You leave the judging having felt things that I, I do anyway, having felt things I never knew I could feel about an image every time Indeed. I do it. I learned something and I yeah. I think it's fantastic. When when you first get exposed to the images, so uh, let's assume it's a session at the societies, it's a physical session, we're going to see images in front of us. What is the thing that most excites you when it, when it comes up, that thing that your heart just lifts? Well, um... We spoke about the initial impact earlier, and to a certain degree, we've got to try and tap into the inner child, you know? Um, the excitement that we had when we were kids, when we when we saw something on TV or in a magazine, or, you know, for me, I'm a massive car nut, so, you know, getting car magazine once a week, and then forget about reading it, I want to look at the pictures, because it's exciting. You know, seeing seeing the shape, seeing something striking, seeing something unusual, something that makes me think about the possibilities within. Um, and it really is about you know when something when when something hits you visually initially, um, you want to, and not everyone does because you know this is the beauty of judging. Every judge is different. Every judge sees things sees different things and sees those different things differently as well in, in a different order. Uh, there really is a lot of variety. But, you know, for me, when, when something hits me visually, I just want to sit and soak it up. Um, if, we're, if we're print judging, for example, there's a tendency for a lot of people just to get up off their seats and, you know, put their noses up against the print to kind of assess it under a microscope. Yeah. And, yeah, that's an important part of, the, of judging a print because it is a print competition. But I want to sit back and just soak it up and, you know, let the feeling develop. Earlier on, we were talking about food and cooking and food preparation and, you know, ingredients and recipes. The best food is where you can take your time eating it and the flavor develops as you eat it. And it reveals, it surprises you the more you, the more you experience it. And, and I think an image that can do that is incredibly powerful it's it's probably the hardest thing in the world to do um but that's that's what really excites me and that's what i that's what i want to experience you know um and it does happen you know year upon year there is usually an image that does achieve that yeah. it, like i said it's a hard thing to do if every image did that it would be boring um well it become average <laughs> Well, absolutely. This is the thing. It, and, and that has happened. You know, the standard has gone up so high, Yeah, I think, and certainly in print judging, that um, what would have been 
you know, a high-end gold winner a few years ago has just become mainstay now. Yeah. Uh, which is a real chat is worrying because we all have to really raise our game. You know, we all have to raise our bars because, you know, the standard is going higher and higher, which is brilliant because it means that our industry is going in the right direction. Absolutely. Um, I think. Do you not think though part of that is that as I I, I don't mean social media in, in this sense, but certainly access to those images has become so easy, so that any one time you can quite literally sit on an iPad or a phone, log into the awards site and see the last 10 years worth of winners yeah and in a sense you're absolutely right i think the standard has soared yeah but i also think some of that is down to the fact that you're you all of the photographers now are constantly exposed to the previous winners and and there's a sense of that 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 high standard drawing us all up but there's also the risk that they themselves become derivative images with something we talked a little bit about earlier. Oh, that that happens. That that's happening. That will always happen. I, you know, I think we have to accept that there will always be derivatives. There'll always be a version of something that's done really well in the past. Because you know, look, you and I have both seen it. Uh, an image, a concept, an idea has done so well the previous year that it becomes really popular the following year. Um, and it, it the challenge is to try and do the next thing that's going to wow people you know that's that's what the competition is all about so for some people you know they enter to try and get the gold or the silver or whatever it is and some people enter because they want to improve so our, our job isn't to judge the intention behind the image because you know an author who's entered an image might have just done so because they're inspired by something that won the previous year and they wanted to see um, how the process can can improve them, um, and that could have been one of those derivative images. We've got to be very sensitive about responding to the derivation aspect yeah. of it. Yeah. We've got to address it so that the author knows that look, you can't get away with it over and over again. You know, we don't know who the authors are, but you know, the people sitting behind us in the room need to hear the message that. Um, you know, we've we've seen this before. It's not unique because originality is an important part of what we do. Um, provenance is very important, I think, yeah. when it comes to image making. Um, you know, I if we were to make um, if we were to use movies as a as a metaphor, um, look, Marvel. I'm I'm a big fan of Marvel movies, and there are a lot of them, and a lot <laughs> of very good ones. But they all kind of start to feel the same slightly. And you have to do something really clever to make it stand out. Now, just because all those Marvel movies have the same kind of look and feel and tone and pace and special effects and that sort of thing, doesn't mean they're going to win an Oscar. I don't think they have. But anyway, point is, when you compare that to something like 2001, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, um, it's Kubrick. He's a nutter or was a nutter. But he was a genius. And there has not been a movie like it since. You know, it was ahead of its time. It was actually an incredibly simple movie. And it involved very few people in the plot line, in the storyline. Um, one of which wasn't even a person. It was, it was a red light on the dashboard. It was a computer. And um, it had so much impact. And there was a lot of silence in that movie as well. You know, there was... There are, there are long moments where there's actually no dialogue, but the movie makes you think. You know, it has such a deep concept. Um, and, and that's 
that's not a movie I've just discovered recently. That's a, that's been a favorite of mine since I was a kid. I think the first time I saw that movie was maybe ten or eleven, something like that. And um, it's not the sort of movie a ten or eleven year old would watch, you know, because it is quite slow paced. But it does make you think. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a sci-fi geek, so I kind of grew up watching things like, you know, Tom Baker as Doctor Who and um, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy on BBC and that sort of thing. Yep. You know, so you know, I I have that sort of sense of humour. Every traveller um, should have a towel. Say again. Every traveller should have a towel. Oh, uh, keep a towel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> oh God, we could go off on one with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so. It, that conceptual thinking has has always been a, a part of what I do, particularly you know as an architect and studying studying architecture is when we really get to be um, conceptual about what we do. And there's a process that uh, it's not a process that we're taught, but it's a process that you learn. And again, I realised that it's a process I learned to be able to take a brief, develop a concept, you know whatever that concept is. It could be a written word, it could be a piece of music, it could be anything. Something that relates to me that I can translate to a, a conceptual design, which I can then develop into something that can be built. And I, I've, I've tried to use that approach when it comes to photography as well. You know, um, sometimes it's, you know, I'm given a brief. It's not, it's not always weddings, you see. So sometimes I'm given a brief. And my process usually is, you know, when I've got time to do that kind of stuff is um, just think of some words that occur to me, that relate to me, that sort of relevant to what it's about, the feeling that, you know, what's, um, is there a word that represents a brief or a series of words that represents the brief or, or the desired outcome? And then expand those, expand those words, you know, literally look at the thesaurus and say, what, what are other words that mean the same thing? And then expand on the meaning. Uh, so then look at the definition of those words, understand the clear definition of those words. And then certain things start to tie together and it starts to form a sentence. And that sentence becomes the concept. And then from, from that, I've expanded my, my brief, which could have just been you know, something really very dry, to something that's poetic and meaningful. Uh, and then it just really comes down, as I said, to your personality and your creativity and your imagination. You know, you can make that into a building, you can make it into an image. Um, so that's that's really kind of how my brain works. It's how my brain's wired, and it's different for different people. You know, um, some people rely on uh, some people rely on illicit substances. That's not my approach. <laughs> um, you know, some people would rely on conversations with other people to trigger something. Some people rely on looking at what other people have done in the past. Um, you know, certainly with architectural training, I remember at the very beginning, um, when I was doing my part one, which is my undergrad, um, we we would go to the library and we would look at books by architects and just start looking at their style, you know, and we'd look at their buildings. And some, some architects would have a repetitive approach, you know, to the way they, the proportions of the buildings and the materials they use and, you know, how people circulate through the building and that sort of thing, how they arrange spaces around that circulation, so on and so on. And some people, um, like Le Corbusier, uh, he he never had a defined style. Every building he did was different and, like, radically different from each other because that was his style. You know, his style was to reinvent himself every single time he did something. 
Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot to be learned about that too, because he, he did something that was relevant to what was going on in his life, the way he felt, his mood, um, what was relevant in terms of, you know, building material, ecology, social issues, um, whatever it may be. He drew upon anything he could around him to inform his way forward. And I think, you know, we, we can we can learn from that. So, you know, music, same thing. Artists do the same thing. Some more successfully than others. Um, same thing with movies. You know, I use movies. Um, is it, movies are a massive inspiration for me as well. And when, when Rosh and I actually watch movies, we're constantly pausing. Uh, when we see a nice scene, you know, it might be beautifully lit or it could be a great pose or it could just be something that's dramatic. You know, that scene has an impact and we'll pause it to see what, try and understand the impact, try and dissect it in our minds, what makes it so good. Um, so, yeah, you know, there's there's inspiration all around us. But it's, if you understand how something can work and you apply your own personality to it, then, you know, that could then develop into something completely different to the thing that triggered it in the first place which is, you know, quite often the case. Yeah, it always, um, amazes, it always amazes me with with movies that they are beautifully lit, beautifully framed, beautifully posed images at 24.97 frames a second, and we get excited yeah, about producing one in an hour. One. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, but remind me never to sit and watch a movie with you, because I think that would <laughs> drive me quietly insane. And I still, I've never seen a 2001 Space Odyssey. Still haven't seen Have it. Have you not? No, I've written it down. I'll go and see it. Uh, incidentally, as an aside, it was just I was just flicking through. Uh, you mentioned car design. There's an amazing series on uh, Netflix which I tripped over by accident, called Abstract, The Art of Design. Um, ah. It's a really good series, but one of, the, one, one of the people they feature, and I'll put a link to it in the podcast notes anyway, is a guy called Ralph, Ralph Giles, who is the head designer for Chrysler. Um, okay. Uh, it's, it's a the whole series is fascinating if, if like, well, we are we're into the visuals and the art, um, because it goes, it talks about, there's architects in there, shoe designers, the guy that designed Jordan Air, uh, Tinker Hatfield's on there. Brilliant, right. a whole series, well worth watching. Anyway, okay. uh, we are working away quite busily towards the end of the podcast, and I wanted to ask you, could you give one thing that either you've learned or the people listening to this podcast could learn from our experience of judging competitions? Is there a nugget that they could take away? A nugget. A nugget. A nugget and a gold mine, actually. <laughs> Wait, um, I'm happy to, I'm happy if you're going to give a whole gold mine. Because it is a gold mine, isn't it? Um, okay, I think there are various bits of advice I'd like to give, if I, if I may. You may. Um, one thing is if you've never entered a competition, then, then do it. Um, I, I started entering competitions actually quite late in my career. I, I think, if I remember correctly, the first competition I entered was six years ago. Um, and then I started judging the following year, um, or it could have been two years before that. I really can't remember, but it's, it wasn't in, in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that long ago. And the reason, the reason I didn't enter sooner was because I wasn't really bothered about awards. Um, and I'm still not bothered about awards. Uh, even though things like my social media and website may, may say otherwise, it's not about the award. Um, I've got the award, so I'm going to make noise about it. Um, awards. But the point is, 
I'm entering for the process. I'm entering because it's challenging. And if there's if there's something that motivates me, if there's nothing that motivates me, if, not, if there's nothing else that motivates me, it's challenges. Uh, because I, I think I think you change at the precipice. Okay. Um, when when you're faced with a challenge and you get to the point where that next step forward is going to change everything for you, um, that there's nothing more valuable than that. So then you start to realize that actually in order to, you know, to, to maximize this process, I've got to go right back to the process has to begin in camera. It's not, it's not afterwards. It's not after you've taken the picture. It's not what you do in Photoshop and how you, it's, you know, it's not just what you do in Photoshop, if the category allows for it. Um, and it's not even about that, actually. You know, most of my approach is about getting it right in camera in the first place. I'm, I'm old school. I grew up shooting film. Um, so, so for me, it's always about trying to nail the shot in camera than anything I do in post is an enhancement. Um, and it's not just about the print process and, and you know, that, that presentation. But I, I learned very quickly that, okay, I, I, the first time I entered, I entered a bunch of images that didn't... I didn't intend to enter into competitions at all. Then I thought, well, if I just gave it a little bit more TLC um, in situ with the camera, then I could end up with stuff that's enterable. Um, that's a word. And I had to be very careful that the creation of an, of an image didn't become about the competition. You know, I'm, I'm very conscious of that. Because... Uh, I certainly don't want it to be, you know, you can you can very easily make the process for your client, your paying client who's relying on your vision, who's relying on your motivation. It can become disingenuous because you're not doing it for them, you're doing it for yourself. Um, and I've seen and heard of many people saying things like, oh yeah, okay, that award, that, that image won an award, but that, that wasn't my favorite from the set, you know, which is, I think yeah. is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and you you mustn't lose sight of that, but it it does what it does is it expands your gamut of your understanding of your own work and your own approach and your clients as well and this the whole process the whole situation the whole experience for you and your clients. Um, then what happens is um, when you take that image into post production, you start to learn a lot more about your images and the way you create images. Uh, you start to critique your technique a lot more. Uh, you start to critique your understanding of light and shadows and composition and of your lenses and of your camera and the limit technical limitations and you know, how you can refine the concept and how you can, um, you know, how that concept could have been improved and then how you can refine your approach to developing a concept the next time around. You know, so it really keeps, so long as you're conscious of it, it keeps feeding back on itself. And then obviously, you got to learn printing. You know, so I've got this. You can't see it in the, on the podcast, but there's a there's a big Canon um, Pro One Thousand behind me. Um, you know, you, you learn how to shoot for the output. You learn to create the image, knowing it needs to be printed at the end. You're not just creating an image to sit on someone else's Instagram. Um, you know, ultimately for us, a big part of our um, profit margin is in in selling albums. You know, it's part of the business. 
So you know, understanding that printout is very, very important as well. So you know, this this helps that whole process massively as well. You know, when it comes to the clients and, and your business too. So um, to kind of come back to where I started, I didn't enter for the awards. I entered for the process. And the more I did it, the more I realized how enriching the process is. Um, and then I got to a point where I, I got asked to judge. I got asked to judge at WPPI in Vegas before um, before any, anything else. And I was hooked. I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know whether I was going to be any good at it or not. But I just loved the process. And then I quickly realized that actually, again, my architectural training came in really handy because you know a big part of the way we're, we're assessed as architects is a critique and it's really brutal um i don't know if you know if you know any architects or any, anyone who studied architecture but the process is brutal uh, i studied at bath university so the way it used to work there is that the, the critiques are actually open to the public if they want to come in and listen to it so it's open to the entire school of architecture so seven years of architectural students because it's a seven-year seven year course. Um, and to members of the public, they can just walk in and listen. It's an open forum. And usually what happens is um, you're standing there presenting your design, your models, your drawings, your concept, your thinking, your approach, uh, and you're trying to justify this thing when you haven't slept for three days. <laughs> so, so you need to be you know, relatively competent and eloquent and be able to, to understand your own concept, to be able to defend it, because you know, they're not doing it to tear you down. They're, they're, they're doing that to, to test your thinking, but it feels like they're trying to do it to tear you down. Yeah. Uh, so that whole process of, of critiquing, um, you know, really it was just ingrained in me. And I didn't realize that until the first time I started uh, judging at, at WPPI. And I thought, you know what, I can actually do this. It all makes sense. Um, and then you start to look at it because you're then suddenly exposed to so many amazing images and you're critiquing them at uh, the highest level that you've ever critiqued images. Um, then you start to think, this is what I need to be applying to my own images. You know, when I'm selecting my images for next year's competitions, I've got to sit there as a judge and critique my images um, impartially Um to, to even decide whether I can enter the damn thing or not, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah you know, that it, it's a very daunting prospect because it, you also walk away, you walk away excited, invigorated, inspired and depressed because, <laughs> you know, you realize just what you're up against, actually. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's an, it's, abs- it's an amazing process. And, you know, the, the, the judging process is incredibly elaborate. Um, it's incredibly well-balanced. Um, if you've never been to a live judging before, uh, as soon as the world opens up and you can go, it's really worth doing because you have five judges on a panel, usually two or three sitting off to one side so that you can rotate the judges um, every so often to keep it fresh. And um, you end up with balanced views and balanced arguments. And you know the system's working because you have five different personalities remember that whole personality thing we spoke about five different personalities some whose bias is more creative some whose bias is more technical some who are squarely in the middle and some people who are big personalities and are able to draw upon that and draw upon the emotion and that sort of thing and when the judges come up with very consistent scoring you know it's working you know that image deserves what it got because you know 
you've got a consistent score across the board from five very different people with different you know from different walks of life uh, it really is an amazing process yeah I'd, i would completely and utterly agree with you and echo everything uh, you've just said and i think it's a really nice point to draw this podcast to a close mostly because we've kind of done a full circle and come back to where we started which is about i think the sheer joy of what we do and the, okay, there's people that are walking past you on the camera um, but it's just it's such a privilege and a pleasure not just uh, to be a photographer and to be the judge but to be able to sit here and chat with one of the people I've met during that process uh, I can wholeheartedly recommend to everybody to go and have a look at Sanjay's incredible work um, I'm hoping he's going to give me permission to put the shot with the perfume bottle on to the show Absolutely. notes yeah. Uh, it would be an absolute pleasure. Uh, Sanjay, thank you. Thank you thank so much you. for your time, your honesty, and as always, for just making life a little bit nicer. Um, oh. what a well, lovely... thank you for having me. Oh, no, it's, it's been an absolute, honestly, a privilege. Thank you so much. Uh, so to all of our listeners, uh, remember, you can subscribe to this podcast. If it is your thing, then hit that subscribe button on whatever platform. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, oh, you name it. Podbean is the home of the podcast. And of course, you can always head across to masteringportraitphotography.com. Although this particular podcast was primarily revolving around a wedding photographer, that, that website, our Mastering Portrait Photography website, is all about everything portraits from the creativity through to the business of it. Uh, so do subscribe, do head over there. Uh, and remember, thank you, Sanjay, and whatever else you guys do, be kind to yourselves. Take care. You still there? Okay, I admit it. I forgot to ask Sanjay for his book recommendation. So I emailed him after the recording and asked for a book that he would add to our library like we do with all of the interviewees. And he recommended uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. It's a fantastic book. It's actually a book I've read a couple of times uh, awesome book. Uh, I will add that to the uh, show notes. So just in case you were thinking that that idiot Wilkinson has forgotten his book recommendation, well, you're right. I am an idiot. I did forget it, but I recovered it later. Take care, guys. <laughs>